But a very good morning to you all. Welcome to those who pulled an all-nighter watching World Cup semi-finals. I wonder if Heels did. Corey Parker is back in the day. Good morning, Coz. Morning, mate. How are you going? Yes, good. back off the bench again. <laughs> High demand. <laughs> I I did the right thing. I sent uh, Heels some tips over for the races yesterday to see whether it could keep him uh, going. But he said, I'm barely staying awake. So he's not the best. Well, he should be feeling a little better today. Hopefully he's getting the vitamin C in him. But we'll mm-hmm. talk to Tommy Hackett a little bit later. His tips he gave yesterday were... <laughs> yes, we have, didn't have a good day. Look, we'll get through that and uh, just you know, remember what you uh, could be buying instead. <laughs> uh, yeah, big World Cup last night, 724 runs scored, but uh, India are through, as uh, the bookies predicted fairly confidently, and the punters followed along. So it was uh, fairly exhilarating. Four for 397. Coley, uh, 117 off 113, 113 balls. His 50- 50th ODI century for Incredible, India. isn't it? Yeah, it he breaks. surpasses, oh, obviously, Sachin Tendulkar yeah. in, in that regard for ODI 100. You reckon they weren't starstruck there too, uh, Tendulkar, uh, mm. before the match out there with David Beckham. There you go. Uh, I understand it's Beckham's first time in India. He's over there uh, fulfilling roles as a UNICEF ambassador. Okay. So he's been out, out in the streets with the kids playing cricket and all that sort of stuff. But, yeah, he was at the match last night and uh, – yeah, there were lots of stars in the eyes, but uh, Coley, at the end of the day, despite the fact that Mohammed Shami uh, picked up seven wickets, Coley was the star of the show. And it's Ferguson bowling to him, flicking on the onside. He's got to get to his Virat Coley. He should get back for two. He turns to Virat. The arms are in the air. There's the leap and fist pump, and he's on his knees. Virat Coley. Gets one day international number 50 in a World Cup semi-final. He's 100 from 106 deliveries. The helmet's off. It's a wave to the crowd. Yeah. And Tendulkar was in the crowd, as I said, and uh, he he delivered a really humbling um, just tribute to him. Mm. He said, you started off as a kid in the Indian dressing room that they used to play pranks yeah, on. pranked him with his feet, touched yeah, his feet when yeah, he first went in there. You had to touch Tendulkar's feet. And uh, <laughs> now he said, you, you know, you're basically in the space of the cricketing gods. Uh, it was fantastic. As I said, Shami was was unbelievable. Hey, look, the, the Indian run chase, the New Zealand run chase was pretty damn good. Yeah. They made 327. A uh, lot of controversy at the toss. So... Um, there was talk about the pitch being changed at the last minute. This turned out to be a pitch that had been used twice before mm. during the tournament as opposed to uh, what most believe was going to be a new wicket for this match. So this was Williamson when Rohit Sharma won the toss. Well, Ken, what would you have done had you won the toss? Uh, yeah, we would have had a, a bad first as well. Um, obviously, uh, a, a used surface. So, um, but we'll make use of it first up with the ball in hand and um, and hopefully maybe a little bit of due later. <laughs> yeah, well, it didn't work out that no. way. Who, who would have thought, though, like in sport, there's so much in- intricacies that go on, the technicalities, and sometimes it just comes down to a good old toss. <laughs> toss to the bat to see who goes first. Because it's so, you know, it's critical in cricket, right? Mm. Who, who gets first bat? Yeah, well, I had a mate of mine that uh, said, oh, I might just jump on New Zealand at the $4 here in a two-horse race. And I thought they'd be, you know, genuine contenders because yeah. I like their bowling attack, but uh, so too did Rohit Sharma like their attack very early. Schultz mm. now. He drops short. He said, high over square leg. The biggest of the bunch from Sharma, is it? Well, that is a help yourself buffet ball. New Zealand have to be better than that. Well, look, 
they bowled pretty well, but uh, Sharma's 47 off 29 set the pace. He was, they were going at nine and over early, and then it, it just continued. Shulman Gill, he took 80 off 66 in two goes. He he left for cramp at one stage. Now, there was a a little bit of debate about that. Do you leave for cramp in the middle of a World Cup semi-final? Well, we saw our, our very own mm. uh, double hundred, and he was severely cramping after a double hundred, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway, it, it didn't matter at the end. So Coley with 117 of 113. Shreyas Iyer was just brilliant. 105 of 70. He took four fours and eight sixes. Yeah, that's right, eight sixes. So it was just that there were some exhilarating innings. Southie best, well, most successful of the New Zealand bowlers. Wasn't gonna, I'm not going to say best. He took three for 100. Mm. So uh, they gave a little bit of tap to Tim Southey. New Zealand finished with 327 of 48.5. So... They gave it a shake. Daryl Mitchell, absolutely brilliant. 134 of 119. He took nine fours and seven sixes. Um, his 181 run stand with his skipper with Kane Williamson gave them a reason to believe. But then Shami did this right at the end of the innings. 327 for nine. Ferguson gets an outside edge and Shami has seven. Count them all seven wickets for the right arm paceman who has been on a whole different level to any other player with the ball at this World Cup. Earlier today, it was Virat Kohli scoring his 50th one-day international 100. And now Mohamed Shami has seven. Yep, well, they finished up giving him man of the match despite the batting heroics of the likes of Ear uh, and Kohli in particular. But uh, Shami was just brilliant. Seven for 57 is going to uh, change most matches, particularly ODIs. Um, Williamson was giving due credit uh, after the match. Yeah, I mean, look, India are playing seriously good cricket. They're a class side um, at the top of their game and to come out in a semi-final and um, to come out in a semi-final and, and continue and repeat um, what they've been doing throughout this competition is... Um, shows where they're at uh, as a team and I mean they certainly put us under a lot of pressure in that first half that was that was tough there wasn't um, much in the surface for us and we were trying to defend large parts of that um, you know so credit to certainly to the way that they played and also um, you know in that second half proud of the the fight really it was it was tough um, a lot of movement uh, you know with the new ball and, and those sorts of things so to to give ourselves a bit of a, a sniff, although a lot of things had to go our way. Um, you know, it was a, a fair effort, and I think reflecting on, you know, whatever it's been, seven weeks, I suppose, of cricket, I think um, as a side, I can be quite proud of, of the effort that's gone into um, getting to where we are, and it just didn't quite happen for us today. Yep, so India get to where everyone thought they would be at yeah. the start of this tournament. They remain unbeaten, unbeaten. now. Ten. Ten from ten in this tournament. Uh, did you stay up all night and watch it? Uh, if so, you're probably asleep, but we'd love to hear from you. Suncorp Home Resilience Open Line. I got through Coley getting to about 40 and then uh, fell. 13-13-55 uh, <laughs> is that open line. Uh, the wicket to the bed. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Text line is 0467 736 736. Uh, the show brought to you by Burbank Homes. They are the builders you can trust. You can bank on Burbank Homes. The all-new Hyundai Kona, imagined to be bold. And Chemist Warehouse, head into Chemist Warehouse for great savings every day. Great to have them all on board. Um, Lee, makes me mad. Two players put in great performances. Coley in the spotlight gets me out of the match. Yeah, well, the the, the one that I read that they gave it to Shami, 
the other sensory maker is young and needs the accolades. Yeah, well, they'll all get the accolades, but I tell you what, Coley, 50 ODI Yeah, centuries. you got to tip your cap when deserved. I mean, yeah. he's just surpassed Sachin Tendulk in regards to, you know, highest ODI hundreds, and, and rightly so. Yeah. I mean, it's an incredible innings. He's off to the World Cup final. Yep. Um, but I do agree with Lee. He's obviously an avid New Zealand fan. <laughs> Um, so now we go to the second semi, Australia v South Africa. I haven't read too much about the uh, about the cyclone uh, mm. that was forming in the Bay of Bengal. So hopefully it's not a, doesn't play a hand tonight. Cyclone Maxwell, they're saying. <laughs> well, let's hope you're right. <laughs> Andrew McDonald uh, made a couple of obvious uh, chats about the inclusions for the semi final, but uh, left us thinking about others. Yeah, I think the the two ins from the from the last game will definitely be Mitchell Stark and and Glenn Maxwell. Obviously, after the, the heroics of Glenn and and suffering that cramp, there was there was some risk associated with him taking on Bangladesh. So we heard on the side of caution there, and with Mitch Stark, um, the heavy workload, he had a few niggles coming in. So we felt like it was a a really opportune time just to give him that sort of slight freshen up leading into the semi final. So he, he'll be a certain starter along with Glenn Maxwell, and then yeah, the rest we've got to talk through. And um, I suppose the the ongoing question for most of the tournament's been about how we'll structure up with our batting uh, unit. Uh, we haven't had the full 15 available, uh, so touch wood that that is the case, that we've got full 15 fully fit players to to choose from. And, yeah, we'll make a decision, as I said, based upon that surface and and the opponent. But whichever way we go, we feel as though it's, it's going to be a strong-looking team and one that we're excited about. Yep, and the Australian skipper. So no mention of the Marcus uh, and Marnus debate there. Uh, it, it seems to be the way that they're going with, uh, with Marnus. But uh, Pat Cummins was talking up that we are unmatched for the big game experience. I think, you know, what, what helps us is we've got a lot of guys that have been in this situation before uh, that have won one-day World Cup, T20 World Cup, various other tournaments in, in big moments. So I think that, that really helps. You, you know what it takes, but also you, you're not really weighed down by history. You, you get more excited about the challenge and, um, you know, just get stuck into what, what needs to be done. So, yeah, we'll get the thoughts of one of New Zealand's greatest ever white ball players. Chris Harris is going to join us uh, as the show goes on today. Uh, this was a semi-final that, uh, last night that was clouded in debate over the pitch. Um, they're saying that India had changed pitches late. Well, another one of their legends, Sonal Kavaska, he has gone off, apparently. Mm. He's filthy. He said, And basically said, uh, almost quote-unquote, all these morons who talked about the late pitch change, well, it means nothing now. He said, in fact, there were almost 730 runs scored. Is there a problem with it, though? Like, both teams play on the same well, pitch. They, yeah, they, they, they said it was going to be set up for the Indian spinners. Uh, uh, but at the end of the day, Shami takes seven. He, he's a paceman. Yeah, so most of the theories have been shot down. I think the, the angst came about the fact yeah. that they, everyone thought they were going to present a new wicket for this, and all of a sudden they resorted, resorted to a wicket that was... Had had been used for mm. a couple of matches during the tournament, but <laughs> I don't think there's going to be too many repercussions no. given India's standing in world cricket. Correct, and they're through to the final, so that's uh, all that matters. Hey, uh, just quickly, um, and Vanessa will be here shortly. We know that the the AFL have made their play uh, by scheduling these matches, which is called the opening round, not round one, mm. uh, to tap into the Sydney and Brisbane markets while the NRL are in Vegas. Uh, Tom Harley, uh, Swan CEO, he's basically saying, well, this is a good idea. We'll add Sydney to ourselves that night. And um, and I think so from that point of view, uh, we should be able to capture the audience. And I think what, what the AFL have done really well is 
is look at the, the four northern clubs, if you like, and, and look specifically at their opponents. And uh, for us, it's Melbourne. Um, you know, it's a privilege to open the season. And uh, we played our first game as the Sydney Swans in 82. That was the last time we actually had opening uh, opening round against the Demons. And that was Barassi's famous quote, which <laughs> clearly off Ellingworth on. And, um, and we played them in round one back in uh, 1897. So there's some really nice history uh, between the Swans and the Dees. Yes, maybe not those sort of sentiments shared by Mason Cox, uh, the, the Pies Premiership uh, Ruckman. I don't know whether you've seen this quote. He said, and, you know, obviously we know where he's from, but mm. uh, round one, NRL goes to Vegas. The <laughs> AFL Premiers go to a showground in Sydney for set-aside for livestock. I tell you what, they're pinning their hat on that round one with the Vegas. There's two games in Vegas and the rest are in Sydney. Well, our resident uh, AFL expert is standing right here shaking her head. What do, what do you think of this? I mean, look at... I, I don't mind it. I mean, they're, yeah. they're making a play. They're having a little swipe at the NRL while we're swanning around in Vegas and taking our four of our best teams over there. I know. It's not Vegas. It won't compare. But, you know, <laughs> I, I definitely welcome them showing a bit of love to the northern states because mm. we are always complaining yeah. about how Victorian-centric it is. They don't even, you know, consider the northern states in a lot of things. And uh, we always lose out in, with travel and, you know, the amount of games they get to play at the MCG and down in Melbourne. So, look, I, I like a bit of love. I like a bit of spotlight on mm. Queensland well, and New here South it Wales. Is. But See what they can put up with in their right. first opening game. Yeah, it's interesting. All right, what have you got for us? Okay, look, uh, I don't know if you guys have been on a road trip up north at all lately, but the Bruce Highway is in mm. the spotlight today. Uh, not good conditions. A secret audit of our state's roads has found less than half of the Bruce Highway has a two-star safety rating or less. And uh, so that's obviously prompted a few concerns, um, especially with the federal government cutting some of their infrastructure spending. They're changing that. That's coming out today, an infrastructure mm. review where the federal government is chipping in less percentage of infrastructure funding. And so things like the Bruce Highway could lose out. And uh, yeah, obviously we do hear about a lot of it's crashes on those stretches. It's an ongoing issue for a long period yeah. of time, the Bruce mm. Highway, anywhere north. And you yeah. throw a storm or, you know, some bad weather in there, all of a sudden the potholes are bigger yep. and uh-huh. wider and it's it's crazy. Well, I mean, I've only really travelled between Bundy and Brisbane. I, ha- I haven't saw any further than that I tend to fly. But yes. when, you know, when mum was, was still with us, I'd go to Bundaberg reasonably yep. often. And I remember being up there for a big Bulls Masters weekend mm. when the floods happened. Mm-hmm. Well, it was cut in several places. Yeah. I mean, people just couldn't get back into Brisbane. That's it. Couldn't get a flight. You know, you could nothing. Yep, a flooded section or a serious crash blocks it off yeah. and causes yep. absolute chaos. Around Gympie. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. watch right. this space. Now, a big story today is uh, the release of 80 people from immigration detention who we have found out, including some criminals. The federal government has uh, buckled to pressure today and said that they are going to push through emergency legislation uh, to deal with them and, and perhaps, mm. um, you know, not that they will necessarily be put back in detention, but just to give more powers in order to monitor them and put restrictions on them as to what they can do. So, yes, they say community safety is the number one priority. Mm. So, yes, yeah, well, we'll, that will unfold. We're sports commentators, but yes. <laughs> there's some serious criminals out there wandering the streets from what I yeah. can gather at the moment. Yeah, definitely. And look, while we were all watching the cricket overnight, the Arias was on. 
Australian yes. Music's Night of Nights. Uh, some of the winners include Album of the Year went to Genesis Awusu. Song of the Year went to Rush by Troy Savan. The best group was DMAs. I don't know if you've heard of any of those oh, man, artists. Oh, touch here. Okay, but here's one you do know. One of our favourites, Kylie Minogue, yeah. winner for Best Pop Release. Get this, <laughs> Kylie won her first aria back in 1988 for no Locomotion. <laughs> wow. And this is actually her first aria since 2002, so 21 years. She's and just she, been hard at it. She's just She's now set she's up in best, Vegas ready to go. Yeah. Just kicking goals. So, I mate, know. He's a, he's a country music guy. Yeah. Who did you give me a bag about saying, you know, what rock have I been living under? Oh, listen, the, there's, the, a, there's plenty the of Luke Holmes. The one you went to see with yeah. the, oh, the Luke Holmes. Holmes, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, I've heard him since. I've, I've well, listened. Of course I quite you like have. him. I he didn't win. He was actually nominated for the International Artist of the Year for the Arias, but Taylor Swift won it, yeah, not Swifty. Luke Coombs. <laughs> Another country music star. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thank you, Vanessa. It's 6.20. We best get to a break. Uh, let's talk a little bit of racing action now, and that, of course, continues across the Sunshine State almost every day. Check out racingqueensland.com.au for where Queensland is racing today. Chances are, though, you're about to lose for free and confidential support. Visit thegamblinghelponline.org.au. Thought we'd go straight to the horse's mouth today. The BRC Racing Manager, Matty Rudolph, is joining us. Matt, uh, big eight-page lift out in the Courier this week. Summer Carnival is upon us. But I tell you what, you'd still be basking in the afterglow of the Winter Carnival, wouldn't you, with, with what we produced from up here. And then they all went down south and plundered all the, the riches in Sydney and Melbourne. Yeah, morning, Pat. Thanks for having us on, morning, Pat and Corey. Yeah, we, look, it was a fantastic result um, this year to see the Melbourne Cup winner and the Everest winner um, come through our Brisbane Carnival. Uh, you know, to have those horses both there front and centre, not just on Stradbroke Day, they they both won on Derby Day as well. So um, those that came along to Eagle Farm got uh, got the spectacle of them twice. So we've always had that great um, reputation for unearthing horses that go on for a great spring. But I'd, I'd say that this year to have a Melbourne cup winner and an Everest winner, um, that's pretty hard to top. Yeah, it is. And, and and now we just, we, we roll on because you want to, you know, to use the old cliche, maintain the rage. And this summer carnival just keeps growing legs, mate, doesn't it? Yeah. Look, Pat, we've, we've made a few changes to it. And obviously the crescendo is the magic millions, but, um, the, the lead up to it in December in Brisbane, um, which, you know, we dub as the road to magic millions and we've partnered with magic millions. We've seen some great horses come through that in recent years. And, uh, you know, the movement of the Grand Prix into summer, we've had Kovalika and Gypsy Goddess uh, win those races the last two years. They've gone on and won the Oaks and the Derby, the following carnival. Um, we've also had the introduction of the Star Gateway and uh, Apache Chase and Vega 1 have been Group 1 winners to, to come out of that in just the four years that we've run that. Um, and this year, Pat, we've, we've got an interesting new clause for the Gateway winner. Um, they don't only get the first spot into the Stradbroke, but uh, every year in the Stradbroke, a horse might miss out. So the winner of the gateway, the connections there have actually got the opportunity to swap their horse out for a runner in the top 40 in the order of entry up until the day before acceptances. So it's almost like a slot into the Stradbroke if you win the gateway. Cool. You can run your horse or you can elevate another one into the uh, into the race. And there's always that intrigue of the horse that's just sitting outside the order of entry. Mm. So that race, the gateway, we're looking forward to that this year as well with the new conditions. And as you mentioned, I mean, it reaches this spectacular climax with the Magic Millions, which it just keeps getting bigger and bigger, doesn't it? See, Jason Scott 
um, saying that it could be, you know, one of the biggest turnover days in, in Queensland racing history. Well, I think there's the, the, the plan is to have 11 races this year on that card, and, and that's certainly going to help with that. But, you know, we, we've had some good horses. The last four Magic Millions two-year-old winners have come through the Brisbane Carnival, and, and three of those being the exceptional fillies, Skirt the Law, Tony Golan, and uh, Kieran Mars also sent up Cool and Gatter in away game uh, to run in Brisbane before going on. And Kieran had a very good two-year-old debut yesterday at Rose Hill, a horse called Spywire by Trapeze Artist. Right, Corey's, so, Corey's already got the pencil out. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't be surprised if uh, if Kieran was to bring a horse like Spywire here in Brisbane to campaign on the way through um, to the Magic Millions. Um, so, you know, Tony Golan, he's made this summer carnival his own in recent years with a couple of gateway winners and skirt the law last year, but... Um, Kieran Maher and Gay Waterhouse they've, they've brought two year olds here as well to campaign here and go on before the Magic Millions and, and then we'll see the Blue Army of James McDonald uh, sorry James Cummings head here uh, a fortnight before the Magic Millions for those qualifying wildcard races so uh, you know, things really hot up towards the back end of December Yeah that's it, that's it mate I mean you do get wonderful support from these big stables when you talk the Mars and Eustace you talk Gay Gay's always been a wonderful supporter and Adrian Bott for that matter uh, coming up here and yeah you're right the Blue Army they all support don't they Yeah look it's it, it, the great thing is is I, I do think in in the summer carnival the, the locals do have a a good advantage and uh, you know the, we do see that you know the Stradbroke season um, you know that's a bit more dominated by the, the Southern Stables although the, the locals did well this year but look we've got a we've got a good bunch of horses and Rob Heathcote showed his hand on the weekend with Extremist um, coming out winning the Keith now and this week Rob's got Prince of Boom who'll be favourite in the Swiss Ace up at the, at the Sunshine Coast and then of course he's got Rothfire tucked away there for potentially the King of the Mountain or, or any number of races there that could propel Rothfire into one of those wild card spots there for for Magic Millions Day. Yeah, and I, I know uh, T. Gollan's got one too uh, in relationship relation to Outback Barbie, uh, a unraced two year old, I think. I was yeah, um, Barbie's sister. Um, yeah. Now she's an interesting filly. She, um, I actually saw her in the paddock at, at Eureka Stud a couple of years ago, <laughs> or last year, last spring. I sent Tony a photo. I said you might like this filly, um, and. She won a trial the other day at Deegan in blistering time by seven lengths. So um, she's a very short price favourite on debut at the Sunshine Coast this weekend. And uh, if she lives up to that trial, um, she she does look like a bundle of excitement. So keep an eye out for her this Saturday and follow her through the summer for sure. All right. So we start this Saturday at the sunny coast and uh, and we move right through the southeast, don't we? Yeah, we do. Well, it's it's uh, heads to um, Brisbane the following weekend. We've got the Tats meeting, uh, the Country Finals meeting on the second of December, the double header on the eighth and the ninth of December. We've got the Twilight meeting on the Friday at Dooman into the Gateway, and then we have the Grand Prix stakes on the sixteenth, the Burma on the twenty third. We've got the Magic Millions Preludes on the thirtieth of December. Uh, they're off to the King of the Mountain up at Toowoomba on New Year's Day, and then all roads lead to um, the Gold Coast for the Wave and the Magic Millions meeting. Hey, mm. just quickly, uh, riding stocks. We had Robbie Dolan on the show this week. I mean, the jockey stocks in Queensland at the moment are strong. And, and you know, Michael Rodback, I see he rode a winner yesterday. 
Yeah, how good to see Michael Rod back. Um, look, at Michael in good form there, claiming a winner early in the piece. Um, look, the riding stocks are good. Jimmy Orman in great form. He just went over to Dubai for a working holiday and rode five winners on the one card, if you don't mind. For working Costa. holiday. How good is that? <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not bad. You see James James McDonald off to Hong Kong for a, for a similar um, yeah. working holiday. Yeah, working week, holiday. Yeah. But uh, look, you know, we've, we've got a great bunch of riders here. We've Angela Jones winning the Premiership um, last season. Ryan Maloney's just um, returned from Sydney from a stint. And yeah, Robbie Dolan on, on Extremist on the weekend. So um, a good a good bunch of riders. And look, we'll, we'll start to see the Southern riders come here, um, you know, towards the, the back end of December. They'll... Uh, I'll probably be here for that Magic Millions Prelude meeting on the 30th of December. We've had um, James McDonald and Jamie Carr riding on those cards in previous years. So um, the Southerners will start to get up here and acclimatise ahead of the, uh, the big race day for Magic Millions. Good stuff, Matt. Re- really appreciate your time today. And we're, we're one to look out for at the coast at the weekend, Barbie's sister. And, of course, uh, have a look at Spywire from the Mars stable, uh, a winner yesterday. Uh, Matt's just uh, tipped us into those two to keep an eye out for. It's exciting times, mate, and, uh, yeah, it's going to be great ahead, and I know you get big crowds and plenty of interest. Yeah, thanks very much, Jensen. If I could just give a shout-out, Barry Baldwin retiring. Oh, yeah, I mentioned that. Yeah, Yeah, so um, best of luck to Barry, the gentleman of the game. Hey, not lost, though. I just read that he's going to hang around the Chris Anderson stable and just uh, impart a little bit of those years of knowledge. Yeah, well, that'd be great. Great to have Barry doing that because um, you know he's a premiership-winning trainer. He's trained over two thousand winners, and he's a Stradbroke-winning trainer. So, um, and also the Candyman's trainer, a very cult horse. So, um, uh, it's great. Good news, Barry won't be lost. Yeah, and a hell of a bloke. All right, Matty, thank you very much, Matt Rudolph, there, the uh, BRC Racing thank Manager. As we head into Summer Carnival, all kicks off this weekend at the Sunny Coast. It's just gone six fifty-two. What's gambling really costing you? For free and confidential support. Visit gamblinghelponline.org.au. Mitch Webson, big day for the Bulls. MCG today started their Shield match. They had a big win over uh, Victoria earlier in the season, but this one is almost must win now, just in the context of the season. They're both sitting uh, at the bottom of the table. Uh, Mitch, a very good morning to you. Good morning. How are we? Good, mate. Hey, uh, I I had the pleasure of uh, running into you guys at the launch of the season uh, late last week at, at the Cricketers Club, and there was there was a genuine devastation within the within the Bulls camp after that uh, that loss at the Gabba last week. Yeah, it was a bit raw there. It was obviously the day after uh, the game, uh, the lunch there. So yeah, it was um, yeah still very much in the mind, and um, I guess uh, one of the closer Sheffield Shield games I've been a part of, and unfortunately on the wrong end of it. So. They're always a tough pill to swallow those close games, and um, especially when wins are so hard to come by in, in the Shield. Um, yeah, it's, it was it was really tough, but we've got to move on now. Uh, MCG today, so um, looking forward. Yeah, and look, in saying that, and I say you know you and Victoria at the at the bottom of the table, but no one team has won more than two of their four games this year. The two games, you know, in particular, we're talking about that Tasmanian game, they chased down 400-odd against you. And, of course, you came within four runs of winning the other day. So it's possibly, you know, the the, the, the table is a little bit of a, a – it doesn't really reflect what's been going on, I don't think. No, it's actually, um, in a way, it's, a, it's sort of a positive thing that um, – it is so close. Uh, I think three teams, like you said, three teams have won two games, and then um, there's another three teams that have that have only won the one. So it's quite close 
um, there. And, and we know that we're only a couple of wins away from being back up with, with those teams that are up the top. So, um, and, and we've still got six games to play as well. So there's a lot of positives there. And um, if we keep playing good cricket like we know we are, um, just get on the better side of, of the result, um, we'll be back up the top in no time. And, of course, you uh, you were very, very good, as you well know, against the, the Victorians last match. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I took took a few last last time against these guys, so you, you draw on that, I guess. Um, it's always nice to, to come up against a team you've had some success against, but um, completely different conditions this time around. We were obviously up in Mackay where there was some some nice spin dry conditions, so um, good good conditions for spin. Whereas uh, I'm currently standing out in the rain here in Melbourne, so uh, <laughs> a little little bit cold, a little bit wet, a um, lot lot different conditions here. So um, we'll see how we go. How does that actually change? Uh, you know, your preparation. You mentioned about last time it was nice and hot, and now you're standing in the rain. From a you know from your perspective, how do you change going into that? I think it's all around sort of your preparation. Um, I think tactically and, and fields-wise um, can change with the conditions. Obviously, um, for the for up north and in, in Queensland, we get a lot of bounce in our wickets. So you get a lot of catches as a spinner around bat pad and slip and things like that. So whereas here, the the, um, the there's not as much bounce here at the MCG. So you sort of just have to change your fields, I guess, and your, your modes of dismissal change, how, you, how you're getting your wickets. So... Um, yeah, it's, it's, I guess that, that sort of changes the preparation a little bit. But as a leg spinner, you sort of just try and land the ball as well as you can and give it a good rip. Um, that doesn't really change wherever I play. So um, try and keep it simple in that regard. There's nice competition for you too, mate, isn't there, with, with Matty Coonham in the squad as well, just to keep you honest? Yeah, yeah. Um, Cooney's obviously um, yeah has had a bit of success over the last 12 months. Got a, got a couple of test matches there over in India and... Uh, did really well over there. So, yeah, it's great to have competition in the squad. Um, I, I think in Queensland we've got some of the best spinners um, going around, which is it's a bit strange for a Queenslander to say. We usually pride ourselves on our fast bowling stocks, but, um, yeah, our spinners have really come through the ranks. There's another young spinner, Jackson Sinfield, who's, who's doing really well at the moment there in the squad. So, um, yeah, plenty of competition, which, like you said, is always good. Um, keeps you on your toes. All right. Now, I'll get them to look outside your zone tonight. Uh, and I'm certain you'll be riveted to it as soon as you finish uh, your duties at the MCG. Obviously, Zampa is going to be very important for us in this uh, semi-final in the World Cup. Yeah, he's been um, he's been unbelievable, really. Uh, leading wicket taker in the competition. Um, not really surprised, to be honest. He's he's, he's had success um, for Australia and at that level for a while now, and um, it's just showing on the on the biggest stage now that he's he's doing really well and. Um, yeah, he's going to be a key part, particularly in um, on those wickets over there. They're obviously showing a bit of turn, and um, he he's been really effective through those middle overs at, at getting wickets and getting breakthroughs. So he's going to be massive for us. But I guess at the same time, that that unit, that bowling unit, so stable at the moment in that Australian team that um, you know they sort of all lean on each other, and um, I think that's the best part about it. Um, everyone's doing their job, and he certainly is doing his very well. Uh, good competition, obviously. Nathan Lyons fit to go again. Yeah, well, as far as I know, he's playing some shield cricket at the moment, so um, assuming he's he's good to go again. But yeah, he's a lot. <laughs> it's it's all, it's all been a tough sort of three years, I guess, for me being behind Gaz. He's um, <laughs> he sort of uh, <laughs> he sort of I guess gets the pick when he when he pulls up stumps and um, yeah, I, I think for me it's just about trying to keep bowling well and um, hopefully an opportunity comes. Um, I obviously got to play a couple of tests with him, so if there's ever a chance to play two spins. 
that's sort of where where my head's at at the moment, trying to trying to get that spot there and um, just see how we go. Yeah. You ever thought you'd try and nobble him or something like that, mate? Because every time he opens his <laughs> mouth, he says he wants to play till he's about fifty. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I've been seeing that in the media lately. It's uh, yeah, oh, it, 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 like I said, there's not really much I can do about that. All I can do is keep bowling well, treat, keep trying to win games for Queensland, and um, that'll that'll sort of sort itself out. But I mean, he's one of the greats, so it's um, you know, it's it's just how it is. Of you know, playing in the same era is one of the one of the greatest spin bowls to play for mm. Australia. So. Mm. Um, it's a tough one, yeah. All right, well, you can only keep getting wickets. Hey, just overview, good to have Uzi back for the last Shield game the other day, got 100 and nearly nearly got us over the line. Um, how's he feeling uh, heading into what will be a big summer for him? Yeah, I think he's feeling he's feeling really nice. He's feeling refreshed. Um, obviously, he had a, had a couple of games off just to sort of get him ready to go for this summer. Obviously, a big test summer with, with te- um, five tests coming up and a few in New Zealand, I think, after that. So... Um, yeah, he's he's feeling refreshed, and it showed. I think in at the gab of that last innings, he played what should have been a match-winning innings. I think um, we we sort of let him down there, losing losing eight for ninety or whatever it was. So um, yeah, he's he's looking good, feeling good. So um, it's great to have him back around the boys as well, just as a leader. And um, yeah, it's great to have that experience amongst us. On away trips, mate. Who's your roommate, or who's the biggest pest in the team? <laughs> I'm rooming with Jack Wildermuth at the moment, who um, a bit of a bit of a grub, bit of a serial grub. So he's he's not not great to to <laughs> room with at times. What grub um, is in the sense he doesn't share? He's a bit ping ponging around. <laughs> what was it? No, no, he's that's okay. It's more the um, it, funny story actually. He rocked up, opened up his suitcase, and he had protein powder in his bag that had just gone all through his bag. So there's chocolate protein powder oh, all through yes. our room at the moment. So yeah. Little things like that. Well, so I hope he hasn't made you. He's hard work. I hope he hasn't made you cleaning up. Now, we've, Stu has uh, just texted the truth. Is Swepo still rocking the headband? Make spin great again. <laughs> I, I am still rocking the headband. The, the only reason being is if I didn't wear a headband, my hair would be all over my face and I wouldn't be taking any caught and bold, to put it that way. So, uh-huh. um, yeah, I needed to keep the hair off the face and the hair's growing out at the moment because my little nine-month-old, it's the only thing he laughs at is, is my long hair. So um, I've, I've got to keep it, otherwise he won't laugh at me. So, yeah, that's why. Yeah, we were talking about this at the uh, at the launch the other day. It's like a crash, isn't it, at the moment, the uh, bulls and heat training? Yeah, it is. there's kids everywhere, mate, to be honest. Um, yeah, it's just one of those times we're all sort of coming to that age now. We're starting family. So um, it's actually great, to be honest, to, to be able to do it with, with all your mates, all, all your teammates, having kids at the same time, going through the same experiences. So... Um, it's actually a really, really fun time at the moment in, in the group, yeah. Well, yeah, The other fun time about when you uh, have little kids, Paddy, is when you do away trips. You get a little sleep in every now and then. <laughs> <laughs> it is great being away sometimes, I, I will admit that. Um, I'm getting a great, great sleep at the moment, so... Um, hopefully, hopefully the missus isn't listening to this. But um, yeah, getting, getting some really good sleep. Now I've got something something exciting for both you and the kids. I know you can, because you've got one more shield game after this one. Then it's uh, heat season for you. Now front page of the paper up here today, mate. Rocket Man is back for the heat season. There we go. I think he's making just one appearance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did see that. Um, I did hear that was in the works. So yeah, it's good they've got Rocket Man back. I think the crowd loves the. Um, the old school Rocket Man. So I don't know what the new Rocket Man's got up his sleeve, but um, it's always a great spectacle at the at the Gabba for a heat game. They always pull out the st- all the stops, so that'll be great entertainment. That 
<laughs> Good stuff. Well, hey, Swepper, you've been very kind with your time, mate, because it's match day. Uh, we wish you the very best of luck. And as Good I luck. said, uh, what was it, last uh, career best figures of five for 39 uh, the other day in uh, Mackay. Let's hope you can uh, match something like that today and just uh, really torment these bush rangers. <laughs> Thanks, guys. I'll be doing my best. Appreciate it. Now, Oz, we don't often do a whole heap of no. bowls here, but I actually called the World Bowls Championships just recently. Is down there something the you haven't called, Paddy? Um, marbles. Okay. But we've tracked down one of our greatest ever 300 plus appearances for Australia. Rebecca Van Asher, very good morning to you. Good morning, gents. Thanks, thanks for having me on. Now, you're here for a very special reason, aren't you? Yeah, that's right. We've got the Bowls Premier League happening uh, here in Brisbane. Uh, which is really exciting at the Pine Rivers Bowls Club. And, um, and Pat, you did mention that you were at uh, the World Championships only a few months ago and some great calling happening there. So we were great that we were <laughs> no, pleased I, to have you on board for it. Rebecca, I was guided by the experts sitting on, on my left <laughs> and right who knew everything that was going on. I uh, I sat back and watched. I, th- I thought it was fascinating, though. It, it was great. And I liked that. Like the difference in the uh, in the speed of the greens and all that sort of stuff. It was uh, so much technical technicalities involved in your sport there are so many intricacies to it so you know world championships was more the traditional format of the game it was on grass um almost the mecca of bowls um here in queensland so that was really exciting um and now we've got uh, almost a complete opposite with the bowls premier league so it's short sharp fast paced um you know it's exciting it's under lights there's music there's power plays all of that sort of thing so one extreme to the other rebecca the the bpl is the t20 version of bowls and uh, for those who don't know what what is the biggest difference yeah, I think it is that short, sharp version. So traditionally when we go out and play, we play anywhere from 15 to 25 ends of just straight up and down bowls. Um, this is what we call sets play. So we play two sets of five ends. And um, if you win both sets, you win the game. If you win one each, then you go to a tie break. And the tie break is one end. So it's a one end shootout. Um, sometimes the winner of the, the toss can dictate that because it will toss a coin see who goes first, and often it's the team with the last bowl that sometimes has the advantage then. So, um, yeah, it's a little bit of a different game plan, different tactics by everyone. Um, yeah, but I think probably more exciting for spectators. So hopefully those mm. that, that might be tuning in and watching or are there live um, are getting to see a really exciting version of the game. Now, my bowling uh, expertise requires a little... Little help, a little seven ounce at ever <laughs> at each end with a dark. No, bit of it's fluid not like in that it. anymore. Do you wear shoes? Is there shoes being worn in this, or is it barefoot? <laughs> well, look, you've described barefoot bowls very well. So, uh, you know, hopefully, hopefully, anyone tuning in uh, that that doesn't play um, bowls regularly and is just participating in the sport, hopefully, they're getting to enjoy the fruits of it that way and and heading along to their local bowlo and enjoying uh, the 1980s prices and um, and just getting on the green and getting to experience um, bowls. But when they are ready to, to step it up and, and start playing competitively, um, yeah, hopefully this sort of draw card is uh, what will attract them into the sport of, of what is a, a really great and fun mm. sport. But, um, no, I can guarantee you once we get up to the elite levels, we start to, to get a little bit more serious and a little bit more fine-tuned. Yeah. In saying that, at the world titles the other day, there was a heap of youngsters playing, weren't they? I mean, and this was at the, the top level. That's right. I actually just recently worked out um, 
the average age of, of the Australian um, Open teams. Uh, we've just recently announced new squads, and I think the average age is sort of around that 27 mark. Um, mm, yeah, that, yeah, that, that would surprise a lot of our listeners, I reckon. Yeah, I think I think it probably would because you know people still that um, that feeling out out in the the wider mainstream is that bowls is um, you know for older people, but it certainly is the sport for all ages. So you know we, we want to get the ten year olds in up to the ninety year olds that are still playing the sport. So oh. it sort of caters for everyone, but yeah. certainly at the elite level, it's it's getting younger, the longer days. Um, and I've just got to have this little dig if I can, especially for for any Queenslanders that know Kelsey Cottrell who. Was mm-hmm. the youngest person to ever debut for Australia at, at 15. Mm. She's now 32 and is the oldest woman in the Australian squad. So <laughs> I, I just thought I'd get that one out there. I remember <laughs> doing stories on her as a, as a journo. I mean, this, this, she's a teenager and she's going so well. And, yes, I know, I saw her down there just into, into her 30s. She's, a, <laughs> she's an old woman now, isn't she? <laughs> heaven That's from, right. Heaven she, forbid. She won a, won a gold, and a, gold and a silver at the World Championships <laughs> um, and is now the the oldest member of the Australian women's squad at 32. So it just, um, you know, it's probably a really true testament to how things are sort of changing in that high-performance environment now. Yeah, good stuff. So now what hat are you wearing? You're Bowles Australia's high-performance high manager, we know that, but you're a, you've been a great driving force for the Tasmanian Tridents, haven't you? Um, yeah, look, before I moved over to, to working for Bowles Australia, um, I was the CEO of Bowles Tasmania for seven years, and, um, yeah, it was always my passion to to get the franchise and, and have a, a Tasmanian team in the BPL and, and on the national stage. And um, as a lot of sports enthusiasts would know, unfortunately, you know, Tasmanians lose a lot of talent um, and we lose to lose them to the mainland quite often in, in any sport. Um, you know, I feel really privileged to have been able to remain living in Tasmania while I pursued my international career and, um, you know, tra- travelled as much as I could, but always um, Tasmania remained my base. So, you know, I really wanted that vision for our t- Tasmanians coming through um, to know that they had an opportunity to still be seen on the national stage um, from Tasmania and, and hopefully, you know, they're all working really hard to try and make the Tridents uh, at some stage down the track, but also just as a good way to, to promote the sport in the state and just give our Tasmanian bowlers, um, you know, a team to support in the in the Bowls Premier League. All right. Well, what about the Queenslanders, just for our listeners? How are they going? <laughs> well, they're not doing too bad. You guys have got um, two teams in this franchise. You've got um, the Pine Rivers Pirates, mm-hmm. um, you know, who the, the business, um, the Brisbane-based franchise, and, and also hosting um, this year's Bowls Premier League. Uh, Pine Rivers Bowls Club is... Um, I heard a description at the start of this event as the spiritual home of the BPL, <laughs> and I think that's really true. It's um, you know we're ten years now celebrating BPL, and uh, and these guys were the first hosts of it. And then we've got the Gold Coast Hawks um, from Helensvale Bowls Club, uh, who are also you know wonderful supporters of bowls here in in Queensland and Australia wide. So uh, both franchises are going okay so far. Um, I'm happy to say we got the better of Brisbane the other day, Pirates yeah, okay, uh, okay. but Helen Vale did get the better of us. So Ooh, we'll, we'll see how the next rounds turn out. All right, good stuff. Thanks, Rebecca. So how long have you got to go? And, uh, you know, if our listeners want to get out there and have a look at uh, BPL 18? Yeah, so we've still got five round matches to go um, before we head into finals. So we've got... Um, 
another lot of TV rounds this evening uh, from 4pm 4, 4 to about 10pm at Pine Rivers. Um, so definitely try and get there live or, or tune in on Fox Sports or KO. Uh, and then we've got a couple of round games tomorrow morning before all the finals action tomorrow night from 4 o'clock as well. So that's really exciting. And if you haven't been before, I really recommend finals night. Brilliant. Great stuff, Rebecca. Thank you very much. One of the legends of the sport, five-time world champion, 300-plus appearances for Australia, uh, has done it all. Rebecca Van Ash, thank you. Thanks, Jens. Have a good day. Yep, there we go. Uh, I can vouch for that. I can vouch. If you're looking for something to do on a Friday afternoon after a hard day's work, get mm-hmm. out to the Bowls Club and just maybe charge your glass and <laughs> throw a bit of banter in left and right. It's a pretty good afternoon. All right. Well, it's on KO. It's on Fox Sports. It's on Sky Sports in New Zealand. It's, uh, it's getting plenty of TV time. We've got one of the uh, New Zealand's greatest ever white ball exponents uh, joining us now, Chris Harris. We'll be a little bit disappointed today, but uh, wouldn't be disappointed with the way New Zealand performed in this World Cup. They've been uh, outstanding. And uh, last night's match produced 724 runs. It was uh, highest quality semi-final. Chris, good morning, and thanks for giving us your time today. Morning, Pat and Corey. Yeah, I'm not sure who's more upset, um, Australia or New Zealand, because I'm sure Australia would have been barracking for us last night, because I'm sure they'd much prefer to play us in the finals than India. Uh, well, that, to be fair, they have been outstanding, and I know they're on their home dunghill and all that sort of thing, but uh, 10 straight in this format is, is a phenomenal performance, isn't it? Oh, it's absolutely incredible. I mean, you look through this Indian side and the performances from individuals, um, it just doesn't appear to have any weaknesses, do they? And even with the expectation of 1.1 billion fans on their shoulders, they've just handled it um, so well. Um, and, and, and isn't international sport or sport in general funny because you've got a guy who's probably been one of the standouts of the tournament with ball in hand, Mohamed Shami, and he probably wouldn't have even been playing if it wasn't for an injury to Adit Pandya. So, um, yeah, it's a funny, it's a funny thing, sport, and he has been absolutely phenomenal and a big part of their success with ball in hand. Hey, Chris Hills normally is with us on the show here today, and I know he's a massive Coley fan. He, he said, you know, across three forms. He could be one of the greatest batsmen he's ever seen. And, and, and last night he reached 50 ODI centuries, which eclipsed Tendulkar. Tendulkar was so glowing in his praise post-match. Where do you put Coley? Oh, he's right up there. He's absolutely phenomenal. And, I mean, he's, he's showing it throughout this tournament. I, look, I think at the start of the tournament, he wasn't in the best of Nick, but it just shows the quality of, of how great a cricketer he is. So, I mean, he's... He's a world beater, isn't he? And he just he stood up. He's now leading the the World Cup with the most runs, and I'm sure he'll finish it with the most runs. But he is phenomenal. I mean, he, you know, at his very best, some would argue that he starts a little bit slow, but he always makes it up. And with the guys that are batting around him, I mean, he's just look. He's going to walk into any side. He's just world class. Chris, assumptions you never do, but um, let's just assume Australia get through South Africa uh, tonight. That's a good assumption, Corey, <laughs> with South African history and semi-finals and finals. Yes, and well, not finals well, well, that's true. We've touched, it's not great. We've touched on that quite a bit in, on, on the show already, but uh, how, do, how does Australia get through India? I mean, you, you mentioned before you don't see a weakness, but if there is a weakness, there is a chink, Is like, what do you, how do you see our best opportunity? I, I, I just think um, people are underplaying um, what, Rohit Sharma, what Rohit Sharma, the skipper, does for India at the start of the innings. 
what what he creates and he's got lots of 30s and 40s but he's got this so quickly mm. that allows the likes of Coley um, and Gil a little bit more time to get in and then to try and dominate as well so I think yeah. the best way to beat India it's it's no secret you've got to get some early wickets you've got to put them under pressure I'm sure Australia will have a plan to Rohit Sharma hopefully they're on bigger boundaries so they might test him, although he's a great hooker and puller, they might test him with a couple of men back on the leg side early on in his innings. Um, but I think if you can get Rohit Sharma early, um, I think, and then, you know, get a pick up a couple of wickets early, I would really like to see this um, India middle to lower order tested under pressure. Mm. And, and even if they do get through, they're not going to pile on that 350 plus. Yeah. You, you know, you've got to try and keep them to mid to low 300s. And I think by getting early wickets, you can do that. And I believe that's Australia's best chance of winning. And I think Australia have, um, have hit the perfect purple patch. I mm. thought they started pretty slow. Um, but they've come in some terrific form of recent times, and it's it's the time to do it in the tournament. So, look, they'll be feeling pretty confident with their um, with where they're at currently. Um, but yeah, like you said, there doesn't appear to be too many weaknesses in this Indian side. They're going to be tough to beat. Yeah. Hey, speaking, of, you know, you were one of the great innovators. So, what was your take on Maxwell's innings? That was one of the best one-day innings that I am have ever seen in an ever likely to see. And it was, you know, I was brought up in an era where you talked about getting your foot to the ball. Well, that's just gone out the window. Now the um, coaching box are going to say, just stand still and smack it. <laughs> well, That was so impressive. Uh, yeah. I mean, once upon a time, uh, uh, yeah, an ODI, if you got a, a decent scorer and went up around 200, it was 250, yeah, yeah, yeah. 250 you'd sort of be going, oh, that's not too bad. I mean, we're going to 400 now. Why is that the case? Is it just the, the players are just so they can adapt so much better. They just, as you said, don't worry about the technicality. Just stand and deliver. Well, like, why is it? All those reasons. For me, there's a couple of reasons. It's the it's the um, the confidence that your team's got in you. It's the affair. But probably the biggest thing is the introduction of T20 cricket yeah. and the ability yeah. for batsmen to experiment in that format. Um, with different shots mm. and become confident at it and then take it to a longer version. I was thinking about it today. For me, literally, it's only a matter of time before we're seeing 500 scored in a 50-over game Crazy. and 300-plus scored in a 20-over game. And that's where the game's got to. It's a tough game for bowlers these days. If you get good surfaces, <laughs> batsmen have just adapted so well that, you know, 10, 12 and over... Even 15 and over is not out of the realms of possibility. So, um, and, and you know, we've, there's been lots of talk about whether one-day cricket's here to stay. And every time you hear talk about that, you get a couple of amazing matches where, you know, like what Maxwell did, even what Pakistan did in that rain-affected game against New Zealand chasing 400. I mean, the, the game's here to stay in the short term. Mm. Um, there's just too many amazing results, and, and it's great content for TV. Yeah. Hey, do you read anything into, uh, I suppose we can put it in inverted commas, pitch gate? Uh, you were supposed to get a new pitch, and all of a sudden we finished up playing last night's game on a pitch that had been used a couple of times during this cup. In saying that, uh, Sonny Gavaska has come out and said, you know, all these morons who talked about the late pitch change, you know, eat your words now, this is a match that produced 700-odd runs. Yeah, well, I think there's a little bit into it. Look, I think the pitch played perhaps better than everyone expected to. As you said, 728 runs or whatever it was. I mean, it was... And New Zealand showed that it could be batted on in the second innings, and I'm sure India obviously 
were very happy about winning the toss, but just the fact that it, it felt like the the, the change of um, the wicket lock was sort of a last minute or a sort of quite late notice was quite surprising. So there's probably more to come out about that. But I honestly think the wicket actually played all right, and both teams had to bat on it. Mm. Um, and, you know, India, if they thought it was going to give them an advantage, if they'd lost the toss, you know, the advantage would have been New Zealand. So I, I don't read too much into it after the way I saw it play, but it did seem odd that it seemed to change at late notice. Now I've got to uh, I've got to turn back the clock because Heels, as I mentioned right at the top of this interview, is indisposed at the moment. He's not feeling the greatest, but texted us all yesterday. He said, "If you've got Chris on, don't forget to mention his 130 in the '96 World Cup quarterfinal in Chennai v Oz, uh, best he's ever batted, 13 fours, four sixes, and Mark Waugh had to bat out of his skin to eke out a win for Australia." Oh, I've always liked Heels. He's very kind. <laughs> I got to bat um, sort of on him keeping quite a lot, and I've never, most of my time against Australia, I've never spent much time out there, so I'm, I'm pleased that he uh, remembers me. But, yeah, that one that one day, you know, it was a pretty special thing, and obviously he was behind the stumps, and it, he's absolutely right. It was the best that I batted. Um, um, so, yeah, the, the story, one of the stories I heard come out of the Australian camp um, was that they, they went through all the New Zealand players and two players they didn't even talk about was me and Lee Jamon, and, and we had quite a good partnership in that game, so that was quite interesting. But, um, yeah, no, it was, um, it was a pretty special time for a couple of hours, and then, as Australia quite often did to us back then, they, they beat us anyway, and it didn't really mean as much as it could have if we'd won. Now, he's not here, so he can't defend himself. Was he a little chirpy behind the stumps during that innings? Yeah, he was a good chirpy, though. He's the sort of chirpy that I like. You, you know, you get some guys that... Um, Glenn McGrath was a classic because he'd just say the same thing over and over again. But um, <laughs> um, Heels and um, the great and dearly missed Shane Warne um, would quite often come up with little stories. And um, Ian was great at chirping, but sort of doing it in a funny way, which I really enjoyed. Um, he was sort of quite clever. He wasn't he wasn't a typical sledger. He would just um, mention about certain things that had happened previously, or just remind you of what happened last time. <laughs> um, yeah, he was pretty clever. Good stuff. Typical keeper. So, hey, listen. So, back back in New Zealand, what is the overall view of this of this series? I mean, they've been happy with the tournament. Obviously, you know, two more wins would have been uh, utopia. It hasn't happened. Yeah, look, from my point of view, look, I think it was a pretty successful campaign for New Zealand. Um, They'll, they'll be disappointed, but uh, gosh, that Indian side. I think most people in New Zealand realise that if India played as well as they had throughout this tournament, it was going to be a very tough ask for New Zealand. And in saying that, I think at the 41-over mark, we're only six runs behind where India were. So with a little bit of a better finish, we could have challenged that total a little bit better. Um, but unfortunately, the sort of wheels fell off as the wicket got a bit slower and you guys came to the crease, it was difficult. But I guess the one concern that's come out of this World Cup for New Zealand is, um, you know, we've had a period of about 10 years in all formats where New Zealand have been, I think, terrific in all formats and competed against um, and had some great results in the best. It's just, it's going forward for the next four or five years and just looking at the side and some of the ages, you know, you look at Bolt and Southey and Williamson, yeah. we've only got sort of two or three guys under 26. Um, so it's going to be an interesting time over the next three or four years. So there's work to be done, but no, I think most New Zealanders are pretty happy with the way New Zealand played in this campaign. I'd like to talk to you, mate. I really appreciate you picking up the phone today, and he'll says to say good day.
I'll say good day to Hills too. I hope he recovers. I hope he's not away for too long. Mm-hmm. Um, but any time, guys, been a pleasure. Big game for the Socceroos tonight, and uh, it's the start of their new campaign. It seems like they've had no rest at all. We've got Aidan O'Neill, who has uh, plenty of history in this part of the world. Aidan, thanks for joining us on the show. Nah, thank you very much for having me. Kenmore FC, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, that's where where it all started. And and the journey has been amazing, hasn't it? Look, if I do my numbers correctly, you're still a teenager when you came on against Liverpool back in 2016. Yeah, that's right. Um, seemed like a, a long time ago now. Um, lots of lots of places I've I've been since then, and and played my football in all parts of the world, and yeah, now in Belgium at Liège. And and they're a power club, aren't they? So uh, you know, you, you, your standing within world football is is great at the moment, isn't it? Yeah, mate, ma- massive club in Belgium. Um, probably the biggest fan base I've ever played with, and, and the atmospheres at our home ground and even the away games is is incredible. So, can you give us some sort of you know feeling of what it's like to be playing for these big European clubs? I would say the biggest difference is just the the football culture and and it's their way of life uh, and going to the games means so much to them and you can feel it you know on on the field when you're playing in front of them um, you know it's almost like life or death at times. I've I've spent a bit of time over there with uh, with rugby league sides etc. Certainly up in the north of England when Leeds United were a powerhouse and like they march through the streets going to games at night. Yeah, it's a. Uh, yeah, it's unbelievable um, the atmosphere they create, and um, yeah, Belgium is completely different to England as well. Um, I think it's yeah, it's just incredible uh, the noise they make and the atmospheres that they create. As I said, this journey of yours, the, you're only 25, but it seems like you've you've done so much. What's the end goal for you? I mean, where would you like to finish? Um, I mean, it's it's very hard to as a footballer, you know to predict where you want to go and, and that sort of thing. You know, I've already already played in England before and where, where I'm at now is, you know, playing in Belgium um, in the Pro League there and, and just, yeah, taking it year by year and enjoying my football and, and taking it as far as I can. And family still back here? Yeah, uh, mum and dad are, are living, living back in Brisbane now. So, and massive supporters, no doubt, mate. Well, very proud yeah. of you. Yeah, for sure, yeah, they are. Um, get up pretty early in all, all hours of the night uh, to watch the games. So what's it like within this Socceroos squad now, mate? After the World Cup, there must be such a good feel with, with you, the coach, the teammates. Yeah, unbelievable uh, group, you know, what they achieved at the World Cup. And, you know, our aim as a group is to, to build on that and, you know, improve, um, you know, every game. And not make it quite as dramatic getting to the next World Cup. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, give us some insight into, into Graham Arnold. I mean, I think he's starting to eclipse all records as an Australian manager, Australian coach. Give us a, a tell us a little bit about him. Yeah, I mean, um, unbelievable person and coach, um, and puts so much faith and, and trust in us as a group and as players, um, and just ultimately wants the best for us and um, yeah I mean everyone in the group you know really looks up to him 
because it's so hard for this group. I mean, we are so – it feels like we're so isolated from the rest of the world of football down here, isn't it? You guys have got to come together from all points of the globe almost whenever you play a game. Yeah. I mean, there's quite a lot of boys now uh, playing in Europe and I think that's that's a big step for, for Australian football and, and the national team. And, you know, the experience that we're getting overseas and, and playing in top leagues uh, is just only going to benefit – uh, you know, the national team. And, yeah, you get pretty used to travelling and, and training, you know, the next day when you fly in. So, yeah, it's, it takes a little bit to adjust, but, yeah, we're we're pretty good at it. Hey, as I said, you're only 25. Your international future has got a long way to go. But we've got a couple of exciting youngsters that are back in. We're regenerating, aren't we, the Socceroos squad? Yeah, definitely. I mean, Australian football at the moment, um, you know, it's got a real buzz about it and it's, you know, exciting to be involved in it. Um, and to see how much passion, you know, Australians do have for football. And I think it's just going to keep growing. I see, you know, we've got the likes of, of young Bacchus and Sakati, uh, Yangi, et cetera. Who, who is, you know, tickling your fancy at the moment? Who, who do you think could be a real star for the Socceroos in the future? I mean, it's a tough one to predict, but, you know, we've got so many great young players and I'm sure, you know, in the future we're going to have plenty more. Um, and, yeah, it's really exciting for, for the national team. Okay, uh, tell us a little bit about Bangladesh. What do you know about them? It's a game that you would be expecting to win. Yeah, um, you know, it's obviously going to be a tough game. Uh, you know, we go in and, you know, we recently played, you know, some really top nations and I think we go into every game, you know, with the, with the same mindset and that's to win. And I see you also hold uh, Irish citizenship. <laughs> Does that help with travelling through Europe? Yeah, uh, no. Nah, well, when I was younger, they they um they got into contact, but no, nah, I've got no no Irish history. You're happy to be playing under Arnie at the moment. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's the dream to play for Australia, and you know I've achieved that. And yeah, just you know keep keep progressing, and you know play for the national team as much as I I can. Now you've got uh, you've got Palestine in Kuwait. That's a, another one that you're, you're looking forward to. That that has been tricky logistically because of the state of the world at the moment. Yeah, I mean we've got um, people who look after all that sort of stuff and have full faith in them, and and we do what we're here to do and, and play football. An Asian Cup in January. That's another big one. So it, it's it's a it's a critical time for the soccer. Is there's no real time for rest, is there? No, I mean, uh, yeah, it's been a pretty busy schedule uh, as of late. And, um, yeah, with the Asian Cup coming up in January, it's another exciting time and, and, you know, a big tournament for us. All right. Okay, look, really appreciate your time. We know it's match day and uh, we look forward to uh, we look forward to keeping an eye on you uh, in the future. No, nah, thank you very much, mate. Aidan O'Neill joining us there from the Socceroos. They've got Bangladesh tonight in Melbourne and then, of course, travel to Kuwait to take on Palestine and, as I said, Asian Cup in January. Thanks, Aidan. Great to chat. Cheers, mate. Thank you. And we've been uh, chatting about the NRL draw at mm. Nauseam uh, this week. Uh, Cowboys uh, are heavily involved. Obviously, they're down here for uh, the season opener against the Dolphins. It'll be a big, big crowd at Suncorp Stadium. We've got the Cowboys CEO, Jeff Rival joining us. Jeff, uh, thanks for joining us this morning. Really appreciate it. Uh, morning, Pat. Morning, Cos. Uh, thanks for the opportunity. Now, not the greatest year last year. How's it been? How's the coach been? Has there been many runs up that famous mountain of yours up there, and uh, is he getting them whipped into shape? 
Yeah, he's, he's, there's certainly been uh, one or two runs up Castle Hill, although the coach does it on his push bike. A uh, bit of old football at <laughs> me uh, coming out of there, Pat. But uh, but you are right, mate. Uh, the, the consistency that we needed last year to back up a year like 2022 just wasn't there. Uh, whether that be through some injury, whether that be through some suspension. So, uh, uh, look, we had a good post-season analysis and, and understand where we fell short. And, and I'm really confident with uh, uh, some of the changes that we've made, uh, some of the roster spots, uh, as well as some new coaching staff with mm. some new voices, uh, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll hold it steady uh, leading into next year, mate. Rob, some of those changes you mentioned was Jimmy Maloney. He's a, he's a born winner. He's won a couple of comps. Why was it so important to have Jimmy on board? Mate, you're right. He's, he's a competitor and, and, and he's a winner. Uh, and I think what we what we needed with uh, Todd uh, and also Justin Morgan coming, you know, we've got some guys there that played as forwards and uh, Todd breeds the game very well, but also you've got a guy in Jimmy who uh, has played in the halves, won premierships in the halves, will bring a new voice uh, to us. Uh, He's a guy that uh, Chad knows really well uh, in steering around the park, and also will be a great mentor for for Tommy Dearden, so uh, Jimmy's going to get up to us uh, on Sunday night, and we're Mm. looking forward to him hit the ground on Monday, Cos. There's been a little bit of talk recently in the paper about... uh Little number six in Tommy Dearden. Um, yeah. How confident are you guys up there uh, trying to keep Tommy? He's a wonderful competitor. He's a great yeah. player. He's still got a, you know his best footballs ahead of him. Uh, how confident are you uh, trying to keep him? Because I think uh, Tommy's been great for us as a club, and I think we've been great as a club for him. Mm. Uh, uh, it's well documented when he left the Bronx and, and he needed, again, some consistency and some backing. And, uh, you know, he's been able to work with Todd and the staff uh, to get that and become now a representative player, which we always knew he had in him. Um, we know at this time of the year, uh, guys go out and test the market. I think that's their right uh, to do that. Uh, we're quietly confident that we've got the relationship with Tom, relationship with his manager, Sam, uh, to ensure that we put our best foot forward with him. And, uh, look, he's a vital cog uh, to who the Cowboys are in the future, and uh, we certainly want him at the club, mate. Yeah, there, there is going to be hot competition, and, uh, you know, you obviously respect his right to just sit back and and have a look and have a listen. Yeah, Pat, you're right. You know, it, it's... I suppose that's what the modern-day NRL is, you know, with the way that the uh, salary cap works, the way that the, the contracting system works and the like. Would we have loved to have his signature in the bag already? Yeah, you bet we would. Uh, but we need to work through that process. We'll respect that uh, and ensure that we've got Tom's uh, Tom's needs and uh, what we need from him at top of mind throughout it all, mate. Yeah, I know. And you know, obviously having someone like that, he's a marquee player that the kids love, so uh, you'd hate to lose him off the roster. But nevertheless, uh, that's uh, that's why you're in the job. <laughs> Mate, you, you know what? He's such a great role model for, you, for young people up our way in the north. He's from Mackay, uh, you know, squarely in the patch of, uh, of North Queensland. He's a tenacious bugger, uh, and he just resonates so well uh, with our club and our culture, mate, and we'll work tooth and nail to make sure that he stays. All right, Art, let's have a look at this draw. Uh, you're on the road a bit for yeah. these first couple of months, aren't you? Yeah, we are, and, and that wasn't unexpected. Uh, there's a, a pink concert coming up our way, which, are, again, is a, a ah, great opportunity okay. for our stadium. Uh, so what that's done is put the stadium out of play for a few weeks early on in the year, Pat. But uh, when I look at that, you know, playing the, the Dolphins down in Brisbane, getting home against Newcastle, uh, back down that way uh, after we go to uh, Wollongong, 
Uh, we're down at the Bronx on, on Good Friday and then uh, the Titans to wrap up at home to wrap up the first five weeks. What I really like about it, the last eight weeks, uh, six weeks of those are at home uh, and only two trips down to Sydney. And uh, look, we know where we're geographically located, which does isolate us a bit. We travel normally over 50,000 kilometres a year, mm. Pat, and uh, uh, it's important that we find a way to ensure from a high performance from a player welfare and recovery perspective, uh, that we find the right formula. I think we've got that uh, yeah. this year. You know, we miss out going to Melbourne, Newcastle, uh, and Auckland. What that does, that's a double hop for us, uh, and also adds about twelve, fifteen thousand kilometres, or saves us twelve, fifteen thousand kilometres on the travel. So okay. uh, the draw to me was a well balanced draw for us, mate. Yeah. Rives, you mentioned about the travel and you, you, you know, geographically where you guys are situated, and it has been a bit of a concern uh, over recent years how the Cowboys do travel, and you, you, particularly that start of the year for you guys, so important. Has much emphasis been put on just trying to sort of manage that to the nth degree? Yeah, you're right, mate, and because you know yourself from your playing days, as, as uh, time goes on, the sports science and, and everything behind it uh, is plays more and more of an importance. Uh, uh, people, <clears throat> and you'd think we would get some sort of advantage training mm. the heat up here, mm. uh, but because of that humidity over time, our players get cooked. Yeah. Uh, uh, so what we're doing is we're putting some mitigating circumstances in place there where we'll play our second trial this year down in Queanbeyan, down in Canberra, yep. uh, and then we're going to stay down that way for another week after that and just taper off in a bit of a cooler climate. Uh, Paul Bowman, uh, who heads up our uh, sports performance, high performance area, he seems to think that we've got the data that suggests that that will help us uh, with that start. And then also we work closely with the NRL uh, just on those turnarounds uh, with travel. You guys know yourself, since covid Air travel just hasn't been the same. You spend so much time sitting on a tarmac. You're in a smaller plane more often than not. Uh, so we're, we're working closely with the stakeholders to get the best out of that as well. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you sort of get a little bit isolated from it down here, mate. But you're right. And I know, you know, we've, we've all been sympathetic to the travel. But, yeah, the, the effect on the players, that's really interesting to hear you talk about that and what, what you're planning on doing for the season. That's, uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting stuff. Yeah, it, it's it's important, Pat. Um, you know, and again, uh, I don't want this to be seen as anything but doing the best for our players. Yeah. You know, we know where we are geographically located. Uh, we get that, uh, and we don't want that to change in any way. Uh, but what we need to do, and 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 you know, Todd and Michael Lucky, our chairman of footy, went over to the US about eighteen months ago and looked at how they travel uh, as well. Uh, so, and and it's teams like us, the Warriors, Melbourne, it's high on our agenda uh, to try and get that turnaround to a maximum uh, and that recovery to a maximum when we get back to Townsville as well. Rob's obviously CEO of the Cowboys, but um, what's the biggest change? I mean, you know, from the coaching staff last year, um, finished 11th, which was quite simply left the run way too late and off the back of a World Cup year and Todd had sort of been pretty open and candid saying that they probably approached the preseason a little different to the one before, which you were so good. What's what's the big turnaround? What's the biggest turnaround that the Cowboys need to come up with this year to ensure they're back where they deserve? Yeah, because you, you touched on it there, mate. That you know we uh, we had a poor start and we're chasing our tail. And no matter what it is, is whether it's footy or business, if you're chasing your tail, something's going to give uh, mm. in the long run, which it did for us. Uh, that back end wasn't good for us, yeah. mate. Uh, it was a, a newer experience for a number of our players last year 
getting called into the World Cup for the first time. The Ruben Cotters, the Murray uh, Tuolangis, uh, you know, the guys that have never played in that type of arena uh, for so long. What then happened is we're getting those guys back late for our pre-season. Val, for example, Val Holmes and Petahiku come back two weeks prior to the start of the season. So what we were able to achieve in that off-season around consistency, around cohesion, uh, and also getting the fitness levels to where we needed uh, didn't occur in 2023. Uh, With the rep season now well and truly over, most of our guys are back. Uh, It's just guys like Ruben Cotter and Bell that will be back a a little later along with with the guys who played for Samoa as well. So, mate, some of those things that we weren't as on those one percenters that we know we missed, uh, that's where we need to be better next year. And I, and I touched on it before, consistency is key, and that needs to start in November, uh, yeah. which it has. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any footy fan that doubt that you guys are not far from coming back because you've got a hell of a, hell of a, like a roster, but, oh, boy, the Ford Pack is fantastic. Jeff, really appreciate your time today, mate. Uh, appreciate it, Pat. Thanks, guys. Thanks, guys. See you, mate. Jeff Rybel there, the uh, North Queensland Cowboys CEO, joining us.